Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It seems like every time you turn on the news, there's more bad news. This past week, uh, the terrorists seem to be getting more and more creative, um, driving a truck through a large crowd, celebrating Bastille Day in Nice, France. And I think I heard 80 folks were killed. Quite a few are in the hospital. Every week, it feels. And like I said last week, a pastor's job, a preacher's job, is to preach with the scriptures in one hand and the newspaper in the other. We want to find out what God's word has to say to us today. We want to find out what God's thoughts are on what's going on. This passage that we are looking at today talks about division. It's been a theme of Paul's for the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And here it stretches into the fourth a bit. He's finally going to wrap things up and then we're going to move on to incest. Isn't that going to be a great sermon next week? (laughs) Why did I pick this book? And Paul has obviously been upset with what he's heard about the divisions in the church. And some of the divisions have to do with who people listen to and follow. But today he's going to get to the heart of what causes divisions. He's, he's been talking about the divisions. He's been kind of getting at things. But today he's going to deal with hearts. And you may not see it. It may not jump out at you what he's doing here. It may not jump out at you that he's talking about your heart, my heart, the heart of followers of Christ. But that's what's at stake. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I hope you've been bringing your Bibles, and uh, this is on page 1054 of my Bible, so it's about 1,000 pages in. How many books are about 1,000 pages long? That's a long book, right? Um, it's in the New Testament, so find the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And it's one of Paul's letters, one of Paul's epistles. And we're in chapter 4, and Paul says this. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, the us is the apostles, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden 
in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Apollos is one of the apostles that folks in the church were saying, well, I follow Apollos. And people are saying, well, I follow Paul. And by the way, Apollos and Paul, they don't have a beef with each other. Everything's fine between Apollos and Paul. It's the warring factions in the church that are picking sides for some strange reason. I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as those you do not? As though you do not, did not, excuse me. Now, this is where Paul becomes one of my favorite writers. Because he's sarcastic. It's in the Bible, isn't that cool? Some of you need to circle and highlight sarcasm in the Bible. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And with that, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we were cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. By the way, I like, I like uh, N.T. Wright's translation of that better. Even if you have 10,000 babysitters in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Tuck that verse away. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Perhaps you need to circle, highlight, underline that. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you (laughs) very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline 
or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? It's fun reading the Bible. If you don't read it, you need to. I mean, this is a fascinating passage. Paul is, I think, in some of his rhetorical best in this few passages, these few paragraphs we read. And in this thing, he is setting up a very eschatological understanding of who we are and how we should live our lives. I just used a 25-cent word. My son, David, when I speak to him regularly, he looks at me with this blank stare, kind of like a puppy dog. And recently he told me why. He's like, Dad, you use this word, and I don't know what that means. Dad, you use that word, and I don't know what that means. Dad, you use this word, and I don't know what that means. And I said, I'm sorry, go get a dictionary. (laughs) Because I'm so loving and kind. Actually, I didn't say that. I tried to explain myself, and that was really hard. Eschatological. What does that mean? That means keeping the end times in mind. It means the last days, the day that Paul has talked about earlier in this book, the day of the Lord. And did you hear his talk about the day of the Lord that's coming? That was the part that if you weren't nervous reading this passage, perhaps made you nervous. He said, all our actions will be judged. Even our motives, what's in our hearts, will be brought to light and be judged. If you're like me, that part in the good old King James freaketh you out. I mean, that is not good news. That one day, every Thing. Every behavior, every action, every attitude, every motivation will be exposed. Let that sink in. And Paul is talking in this eschatological, this keep the end in mind, this day of the Lord in mind as you are warring and fighting with each other in church. Because someday, God's going to show up. Someday, God is going to show up and he is going to, he's going to bring things to light. And by the way, this is a very good thing. Some of you are sweating, you're a little nervous, you look scared, and I'm really sorry about that. But this is a really good thing, that God will one day show up and expose things. The reason this is a good thing is because it is necessary. It needs to be done. If God is all just and all loving and all powerful, there has to be a day of reckoning. There has to be a day that evil is put away with. There has to be a day when God shows up and makes everything right. There has to be that day. Or else God is not all good and he is not all powerful And he is not righteous. You have to have this day. This day needs to come. Right? Have you been watching the news recently? Are there some things that you just think, somebody needs to put things right. Somebody. How often do you find yourself saying somebody? 
And why do we say somebody, especially with the issues that we're seeing play out in the news lately, racism, terrorism, hatred, nationalism, bigotry, power plays. Why do we say somebody has to do something? Because we live in Rayberry. There's nothing we can do. I wasn't in Nice, France. In fact, if you're like me, you just start making a list of the places in the world you're just not going to ever go. Not going to go to that airport. That one had a bomb. Actually, that might be the safest one because now they've taken steps, right? But you start to think, these are places I'm not going to go. I'm just going to stay safe. Somebody should do something. Somebody should do something about this evil. Somebody should do something about these situations. This is a normal feeling. This is a feeling that I believe is in you because you are made in the image of God. And something in you as an imager says, this is not right. This is not the world I was made for. This is not how it should be done. This is not how it should work. We should all be on the beach in Hawaii. Becky brought that to church today. (laughs) This is where we should live. The beach, palm trees, no cares. What happened to this world? And we all say, somebody should do something. And we're right. Somebody should and somebody will. Somebody will do something. That's what it means to have an eschatological framework, to think with the day of the Lord in mind. But if this day of the Lord is coming, and God is going to deal with all evil, all evil, evil, then is this really a day we should look forward to? You ever done something? Let's not go to evil just yet. Let's let's say, have you ever done something bad? Like ever in your life? Ever. Some of you are kind of old. No offense. Hey, I'm just Captain Obvious. That's all you got to call me here. You've been around a while. And you were fortunate because Facebook didn't exist. You were fortunate because the internet didn't exist. You were fortunate because an employer or an employee or a customer couldn't catch you on their smartphone video doing that bad thing. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, do we really want this day of the Lord to show up? If God's going to deal with all evil, if all things that are not good, righteous, perfect are going to be destroyed and done away with, is this a day that any of us want? It's interesting. Did you hear how Paul deals with this day from his perspective? Let me read those parts again. I carry very little. This is uh, verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. 
Can't you hear a lot of modern-day Americans saying that? You can totally hear a lot of modern-day Americans say that. I don't care if you judge me. Don't judge me. Hypocrite. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. I mean, we used to think that the problem with most people's lives, with bad choices that people made now, today, were the result of low self-esteem. And so uh, this happened not so much in my lifetime, but in my kids' lifetimes. We started to give awards for participation, right? So instead of winning a trophy because you're first place and second place is just the first loser, right? That might hurt somebody's self-esteem. And so everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody gets a giant trophy. Everybody gets something for participating, and then they graduate, and the world, real world hits them right smack in the face. Oh, what? What happened? And that sounds like our culture. I don't care what you think about me. I got my participation ribbon. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's not doing what our culture does. He's doing something that no culture does. He's doing something that none of us do. When it comes to dealing with the day of the Lord and dealing with our heart and dealing with what he says at the end of this passage, arrogance, pride, how does Paul deal with that in his own life? You might even thought, boy, he's, he's kind of prideful in writing this. Like, Sometimes when we use sarcasm, can it come across as proud? Oh, you're so smart. I'm just an idiot. Even Paul is using the sarcasm and is biting. And it sounds like he's got a chip on his shoulder. It sounds like he's prideful, but it really he's humble. He's more than humble. He's gospel humble. <laughs> How do I know that? Look what he says. I don't care if you judge me. Because I'm not judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Can you do that? You ever walk by a mirror? You ever walk by a mirror and do this? Right, right? <laughs> I mean, when you walk by a mirror, you're like, I look like that? Oh my gosh. Now I look better. Ever walk by a mirror and, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Oh my. You ever had a mom? Right? Can you not judge yourself? I mean, can you really not judge yourself? Do you really believe? Maybe they didn't have mirrors in Paul's day. Can he really not judge himself? It's in the Bible. It's inspired by God. Apparently, this is true. Paul got to a point in his life that he didn't care if you judged him or a human court judged him, and he didn't even judge himself. He got to the place where it didn't matter what others thought or what he thought about himself. I was in a restaurant in Denver, 
And it was, you know, one of those trendy, cool new restaurants where they have writing everywhere. Um, just a little confusing, but because I'm trying to eat and they want me to read. And it says, like, uh, you know, love like today's your last day. I mean, it's one of those, you know, like, creedal kind of statements. Like, love like today's your last day. Uh, you know, I can't even come up with it. But one of the lines was, dance like nobody's looking. Dance like nobody's looking. And I thought of this passage. Paul is one of those people that could dance like nobody's looking. More than that, he could live his whole life like nobody's looking. Could you imagine how freeing that would be? Because some of us, while we're worshiping at church, we're far more worried about what people are thinking and looking at than what's going on inside of us, than what response we might be feeling towards God. Or we are busy looking at, my goodness, look at so-and-so. They are really getting into it today. What is their problem? Don't they know we're the frozen chosen here? I mean, this cuts both ways. We can either be one of the judging humans or we can be the judged human. Right? I mean, that's just how this works. And my goodness, church? Church, you want to have a good time being judged? Go to church. Right? I remember the church that I grew up in. They would have never let me in dressed like this. <laughs> now you let me preach. Um, because I just, I don't care what you think. And I quit looking in the mirror. So, the church I went to, we judged people on, on behaviors, on, on what they wore, on hairdos, on where they spent their time. It's so interesting because somebody else experienced that in his life. Do you know what his name was? Jesus. Why does he spend time with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? I mean, the only answer is the dude does not know. He didn't get the memo. You don't seem to know that she is a prostitute. We're here to point that out to you, Jesus. You don't seem to get it. He works for the IRS. Worse than an accountant, even. The accountant is supposed to be on your side. This guy is a tax collector. Jesus. We're here to point it out to you to help you know. I mean, that's, that's sometimes what church people think is their gift to God. They think that's their spiritual gift. To help God know the sins of others. And to keep everybody in line. Imagine how freeing it is when you say, you don't judge me, and I don't even judge myself. But now there's a hitch, right? Because Paul is saying, the way I've dealt with arrogance and pride in my life, the way I have dealt with becoming a gospel-humble person is this. My conscience is clear, he says. But that does not make me innocent, Hitler's conscience could have been cleared. But he was far from innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Now, some of you, when you hear that, your toes curl. Ooh, the Lord's judging me. For Paul, this is a freeing statement. For Paul, this is being able to dance without anybody watching. Because now he says, I am not living my life to please you. I'm not living my life to please me. I'm living my life to please God. I'm not living my life to please you or me, just God. Because the day of the Lord's coming, people. That's where he goes. That's his train of thought right after this. I mean, he says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. I mean, then he starts saying there's this day of the Lord coming. And by the way, you shouldn't misuse that passage where it says, don't judge anything until the day of the Lord. Because the next passage, Paul's judging a dude for sleeping with his stepmom. And then there's another passage later that he starts judging. Paul's judging people. (laughs) What's the standard he's judging them on? What is he judging them on? He's judging them on their proclamation of, I follow Jesus. Oh, you do? Huh. Well, I happen to be an apostle. It's called of God. And I know a thing or two about following Jesus, and it doesn't look like you are. That's what he's judging people on is their own proclamation of I follow Jesus. Do we ever do this? Absolutely. And this is okay to do. This is a whole different animal. This is a very different type of judgment. This is discernment. This is disobedience and obedience. Parents, do you ever do this? All the time. If we didn't, There'd be total utter chaos, not just chaos, but total utter chaos. It's a, it's a few steps further up the scale. I mean, we correct disobedience. Did you hear the metaphor he starts to use at the end? I'm your daddy, Paul says in our vernacular. I'm your daddy. Who's your daddy, Corinthians? You, Paul. Okay. Do you want me to come with a rod or with a hug? How's it going to be? Your choice. I used to do this with my kids. I haven't had to do it so much lately because hopefully they're older and wiser. But when they were little and Marnie would leave us for two weeks because she was mad at us. No, she would actually go to India because God told her to. <laughs> Some of you looked a little concerned. Marnie would leave, go for a couple weeks to India or Thailand and, and go on those mission trips. And I was stuck with three children. And uh, by the way, I'm a, I'm a pretty decent parent. And I'm pretty tolerant, but there came a time. There came a time when there wasn't a single clean dish in the home. There came a time where you could not find things because the table and the countertops and the beds and the floor, I mean, just everything was... And I would have to pull the who's your daddy with my kids. Who's your daddy? You are? Dumb question. Do you want nice daddy or mean daddy? We can play this a couple of different ways, and I'm going to have fun with mean daddy probably more than nice daddy, but it's really kind of up to you. Oh, we want nice daddy. All right, then start picking stuff up. 
you're starting to kind of be mean, Daddy. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, it's clearly me being nice and low-key and just mellow is not working. And Paul is saying, I'm your daddy. Is it going to be a rod or is it going to be a hug when I see you? See, Paul has the day of the Lord in mind with how he's living his life. He doesn't worry about what you or the people in Corinth think about him. He doesn't worry about even what he thinks about himself. There is only one judge he is accountable to, and that is Jesus Christ. That is God the Father. That is the one he is concerned about. How has he been made right? I mean, how can he with such confidence, that verse that I told you to tuck away, imitate me? There's another scripture, another passage where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He kind of left that part out here. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says. How can he so confidently say, imitate me? Have you noticed I've never said that from up here? Because I know that there's things that I do. There's thoughts I have and there's behaviors and there's attitudes and there's actions and I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And this guy who also said of himself in one of the letters to Timothy, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Imitate me. How can this guy say these things? See, he understands what Christ has done. He uses that phrase, no human court can judge me. Why does he bring the courts in? I mean, all of a sudden, it's got this this legal feel to it. And what he's doing here is he is saying, I have been found innocent in the ultimate court. I have been found righteous in God's court. The verdict is in, and it's not based on my performance, says Paul. The verdict is in, and it is not based on my performance. It's based on what I did with Jesus Christ. And he says, I place my faith in Christ. I follow Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And that in following him, in believing him, in trusting him for forgiveness of my sins, I am made righteous, clean, holy, justified before God in his court. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about me. It only matters what God says about me, says Paul. That's why he is confident in this day. Are you confident? Are you confident in that day that's coming that you, not because of how nice you are and wonderful you are and how kind you are, not based on your performance, but based on Christ's performance, you're found righteous. Have you trusted Christ? Do you understand that? Do you apply the gospel to you, not only in getting saved and going to heaven? Do you apply it to you every single day? 
Because every day, court's in session. Every day, court's in session, and somebody's judging, somebody's watching. It could be you, it could be friends, it could be grandparents, it could be a preacher, it can be yourself. Somebody's judging you. And how are you going to escape this crazy cycle? How are you going to rise above and say, I don't care what they think, and I don't care what I think. The only one that cares is Christ. The only way to live this way is you have got to apply the gospel to yourself every moment of the day. True confessions. I struggle with what people think about me. Do you? There's some hard conversations that I need to have with some people, and I struggle to have them because I'm worried about what they think. Do you? I am worried about what people think about me. I'm also my worst critic. Like, you don't have to show up and say, man, that sermon last week was horrible. I'm already, like, light years ahead of you. I mean, even if you like the sermon, I'm probably going home going, my goodness, that was terrible. Because we are our worst critics. We are so hard on ourselves. Honesty, right? I mean, if we're all honest, that's where we live our lives. How do we escape it? (laughs) Steve, your performance doesn't matter. Huh? When you accepted Jesus Christ, says Jesus, when it says the Heavenly Father to me, he says this. He says, this is my son, Some of you, he says, this is my daughter. In you, I am well pleased. Yeah, but I hadn't done anything for you. Yeah, because you're a moron. You can't, Steve. You see, if you don't understand this, if you think performance is what leads to a good verdict for you, then you're like an atheist who thinks the way to deal with life is to be a good person. And so one day that court will say, you're a good person. But then I always come, I I show up at that courtroom and I go, well, how good is good enough? You're not like Mother Teresa good. Do you live amongst lepers? Or are you just a nice American? How hard is that? If you are a Buddhist, you are saying that performance leads to the verdict. If I live this way and handle my life and my energy and my beliefs this way, then it leads to a good verdict. Well, performance leads to verdict. If you're a Muslim, performance leads to the verdict. But if you are a Christian, Christianity says verdict leads to performance. The verdict is, you are my beloved child. Why am I that? Because Jesus died for you and you've placed your faith and trust in him. Now live like it. Live like you're the beloved child of God. Live like nobody's, but God is watching. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul. Man, it's so hard to copy this guy. The first mirror or window we'll walk by today, we'll probably look in it and we'll judge ourselves. We'll fix our part, we'll fix 
our hair will suck in, we'll do something. Because the court is always in session. And God forbid we'll be around people today. Opinions we care about. How hard is it to imitate Paul? But in this passage, that's what we're told to do. Holy Spirit, you are our only help in this. As you were Paul's only help. Holy Spirit, help each of us to not care. To only concern ourselves with what the Father says about us. And he says, you are my beloved. I love you. Help us live that out. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Imagine this peace where none can judge you. Where you don't judge you. And even in God's court, when you are judged, there's a substitute in your place. And God says, I love you. Live it. Believe it. Amen.